You're listening to audio from the archive of Highland Baptist Church. For more information about Highland, go to hbcwaco.org. So glad all of you are here today. If you have not been here in a while, we've been in a, a series called The Conquerors. Uh, for about a month or so now, maybe a month and a half, we've been walking through the book of Judges together. Started in chapter 1, verse 1. We've made it all the way to chapter 6 at this point. Every time we've met together on Sunday mornings, give you a little tagline, a little jumping off point. And you see this at the top of your notes. When you walked in today, there should be some notes inside the bulletin that you received. This has kind of been our tagline this fall semester. We will either be conquered by life or we'll be conquerors in life through the power of God. That's the two options we have. We can be conquered by life, by our schedule, by stress, by external circumstances, or we can learn through the power of God what it means to be a conqueror, especially as New Testament believers, through Jesus Christ. With your Bible, would you turn with me, please, this morning to Judges chapter 6. We'll pick up in verse 22. I'll give you a few seconds to turn there. Once you turn to Judges chapter 6, we'll be in that passage, in that chapter, actually, of the remainder of the morning. So you can turn on your smartphone or turn on your iPad or open up your old-fashioned leather-bound Bible. And let's turn there together, if you don't mind, to Judges chapter 6. By the way, I'm using my old-fashioned leather-bound Bible up here myself, so I'm not throwing under the bus the generation that likes to carry that around. Judges chapter 6, verse 22. Let me give you a little backstory here, kind of remind you what's going on. Um, last week, we saw that Gideon was in a hole in the ground. He was in a wine press. He was fearful for his life. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern people have invaded Israel. They've been disobedient to the Lord. And here is Gideon. He is a, a weak man. He feels like he's very weak from a weak tribe. And, and so he goes and he hides in a wine press, a hole in the ground. And there he is, he is threshing wheat down there. And an angel of the Lord, not an angel, but the angel of the Lord, your pastor believes it's Jesus Christ, a pre-incarnate the angel of the Lord or Jesus comes to, to Gideon while he's in a hole in the ground and almost in a humorous way calls him out as being a mighty warrior. Now, he doesn't feel like that whatsoever. He feels like he's a fearful man. He feels like he is overwhelmed with anxiety about the future. But God sees something in him. And I said this to you last week, and it bears repetition. Sometimes God sees things in you that you don't see in yourself. God saw in him and Gideon that he could be a mighty, valiant warrior for God. So Jesus, or the angel of the Lord, calls him out and says, you're a mighty warrior. And so Gideon gives a few excuses then the angel of the Lord is about to leave. So that kind of picks us up here in this passage this morning. Judges uh, chapter 6. If you don't mind looking at verse uh, 22 with me, please. So when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now, in my humble opinion this morning, that gives even more credence to the fact that that was Jesus. Because when the angel of the Lord left, Gideon understands he's been in the presence of the Lord. He has been in the presence of God himself, and he is growing fearful. In fact, that word, in a lot of your Bible, it says the word ah, ah, sovereign Lord. Uh, ah is the Hebrew word for uh-oh in, in English, right? Uh-oh. God has been here. God's presence has been here. The presence of the Lord, the angel of the Lord is here. Now, the reason that Gideon drops an ah or drops an uh-oh is because he knows enough about from his Jewish upbringing that no one sees the Lord and lives. And what does he say here? I've seen him face to face. The sovereign Lord has been here, and I have seen the face of the Lord. I have communicated with him face to face. So Gideon understands the very next thing that needs to happen is that he needs to drop dead. 
because no one sees the Lord and, and lives. But look what the Lord says here in verse 23. It's the reason the Lord says this. But the Lord said to him, I love this, peace. That should have been enough. In fact, that was enough. Shalom, the Lord spoke over his son, Gideon. It's amazing the peace that we receive when God just speaks peace over us. God looks to Gideon and says, peace, shalom to you. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he called it, the Lord is peace. And to this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the, the one that is seven years old. Now, I love this about God. Not only does he know that Gideon's dad has some cows, Gideon, God even knows the ages of the cows. Hey, your dad has a seven-year-old bull. Your dad has a seven-year-old bull. It's, it's the second one from your father's herd. I want you to go to your father's house. I want you to tear down your father's altar to Baal. I want you to tear down your father's altar to Baal. If you had the King James Version, you're rocking the old school, it doesn't say tear down, it says cut down. Gideon, in Hebrew, you might like this, in Hebrew the name Gideon means to cut down. So really when you're reading this, if you were to kind of transliterate it into the English language, it would say Gideon, go Gideon, that pole. Or cut down, go cut down. Really it's kind of interesting, God was telling Gideon, you go be who I called you to be. You go do what I've called you to do. Your name is to tear down, to cut down. Now go be the man that I've called you to be. And you go cut down. You go tear down this idol that your dad has in the backyard. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. The Asherah pole, because it's a Sunday morning in church, I can't go into great detail what that is. But it was not just a stone tablet. It was not just a stone altar. It was not just a graven image. It was a filthy nasty place of pagan idol worship. And God says to Gideon, you go to your dad's property because there your dad has built up an idol to Baal and there your dad has an Asherah pole as well beside that altar. Then I want you instead, Gideon, to build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, that you Gideon down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and afraid of the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. So here's this man. He has been fearful for, we assume, much of his life. He is in a hole in the ground. God calls him out. Jesus calls him out as being a mighty warrior the Lord has spoken peace over him. And now this guy, this same guy who is kind of like, like a Barney Fife and Kramer from Seinfeld and Piglet from Winnie the Pooh and Urkel. How about that for about four generations? All rolled up into one man. Here's a guy of great anxiety, a guy of great uncertainty, a guy of great fear. And God says, because you're a mighty warrior, I want you to go to your dad's house and I want you to tear down the altar that your dad has built on his property. We're talking about trying to pass the first test, right? I want you to go to your dad's house and tear down what your dad has built up against the knowledge of God. Let me give you a few things this morning. You see this inside of your notes. Number one, it was the Lord who not only brings peace but is peace who made Gideon brave. The Lord spoke peace over Gideon in that 
peace began to stir up this confidence and this bravery inside of Gideon. But it was not just the Lord who brought peace. Listen, this is hugely different. It's not just God who brings peace. It is God who is peace. So it's not just that God had a little bit of peace and he passed it on to Gideon. God doesn't just bring peace. God is peace, which is why we see back here in Judges chapter 6, verse 24, we catch a name of God. And if you don't know any Hebrew, you already know this name before you walked in here today. Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. Not just that he brings peace, not just that he distributes peace, not just that he passes out peace. He is peace himself, and he speaks that peace over Gideon. And it was that peace, not just that the Lord brought it, that peace of who the Lord is, that begins to stir up some confidence and some bravery inside of the life of Gideon. But this would be a great point in the sermon series to call a timeout. And to say something to you, I want to make sure we're on the same page as a church family. We are not brave because of who we are. We're not confident because of what we have done. Christian, listen, we find our courage because of who Jesus Christ is. We find our bravery because of what Jesus Christ has already done to us. And so I want to make sure we all hear this. We are not exalting ourselves today as being brave, courageous people. We're exalting God today that he might pour in his own attributes into our lives, that we might be brave and courageous, not for our name's sake, but for his name's sake. So amen on that. Amen. That was a good amen statement I just gave you just then. You you totally missed it. So we're exalting God, not exalting ourselves. God pours his attributes into us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen. Great job on the second time around there. So we want to make sure we're understanding that this is the Lord who doesn't just bring peace. He is peace. And the presence of the Lord begins to build up this confidence and this courage inside of Gideon. I do want you to know, speaking of dad and speaking of going to dad's house, Gideon was raised to know God. Gideon was raised to know the works of God. We know that if you want to turn one page back and go to Judges chapter 6, or maybe on the same page that you're already on in Judges chapter 6, look at verse 13 with me. Remember when Gideon was giving the roll call of all of his excuses on why he can't serve the Lord? He says in verse 13, but sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, well right there, if the Lord, that should be all caps in your Bible, he said, if Yahweh is with us. So Gideon knew the name of God. If Yahweh is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders of God that our Father told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us. And so Gideon was raised in a household where he knew the name of God. He knew the character of God. He knew the works of God. He knew the past promises of God. And so he is raised to know things about God, and yet he is struggling now in his relationship with God. But Gideon was raised in a household or at least a grandparent or some kind of surrounding family where he knows the name of God. But somewhere along the way his dad turned away. Somewhere, I believe, along the way, Gideon began to turn away as well because he was following in the footsteps of his dad. Can I also call just a quick time out and say to all the dads who are here today or future dads, you have incredible impact in your family. You have incredible sway over your children and your grandchildren. Dads, you are shepherds in your household. You bear well that responsibility that God has given us to serve as influencers for our kids and our grandkids. 
Because somewhere along the way, we know his name, Joash, Gideon's dad, turned away from God and began to build an altar to Baal and an Asherah pole on his own property that he owned. Second thing I want you to see this morning is that wrestling with fear and being tempted to fear, it might be a lifelong battle for you. Now, that may not be encouraging to some of you here today, but I want you to know wrestling with fear, that may just be a part of a lifelong battle for you, but you don't have to surrender to it. I want you to see something in this passage. Perhaps it kind of caught your eye's attention as well. I look back to verse 27 there in Judges chapter 6. I look at verse 27 with me, please. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but because he was afraid of his family. <laughs> this was after Jesus had already called him mighty warrior. This was after God had already spoken peace over him. This is after he'd already built an altar for the Lord. This is after he'd already torn down the altar to Baal and the Asherah pole on the property of his dad. He is still, or he's about to do that. He is still very nervous, and so he does it at nighttime. Thinking, man, is this guy going to always wrestle with fear? Maybe. Some of you might be thinking, am I going to always wrestle and be tempted to, to give in to anxiety? Tempted, yes. Perhaps. But you don't have to surrender to it. If you don't hear anything else today, would you hear this about Gideon? Gideon was scared. Listen, Gideon was scared, but he still obeyed the Lord. He was frightened, but he still did what God called him to do. So when people come up to me, or you come up to me, and you say, I'm wrestling with sin, you know my one-word answer? Good. That's good that you're wrestling with it. That's much better than surrendering to it, isn't it? I mean, wrestle with it. You press into Jesus Christ with it. You surrender your life to the Lord. Do not surrender your life to fear. You wrestle with sin. You wrestle with temptation, but you do not have to surrender to it. And Gideon, as frightful as he was, he did not give in completely to fear. Even though he went at nighttime, he still obeyed the Lord. Continue on here. Judges chapter 6. Look at verse 28. So in the morning, when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished, with the Asherah pole beside it cut down. It was gideon and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. And they asked each other, who did this? And when they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. Someone threw him under the bus quickly. It was, it was Gideon, the son of Joash, he, he did it. The men of the town demanded of Joash, you bring out your son, he must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Let me just tell you this this morning, church. When you choose to fully follow God, you will come up against opposition. If you're gonna choose even today to fully follow Jesus Christ, I wanna give you a warning as you make that decision. You will come up against opposition. Let me just say that the enemy's not wrestling against you all the time. It's because he does not fear your influence. If the enemy's not pressing back up against you and the enemies of God aren't pressing back up against you, perhaps that's because the enemy himself does not fear your influence. But if you fully follow God, you bank on it. You'll be opposed not only spiritually, you'll be opposed as well by people around you. That's what's happening here in the life of, of, of Gideon. We should not be surprised because Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 15 when Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. And I have chosen you out of the world, and this is why the world 
hates you. Gideon was now getting this opposition. He was fully, fully following God, and now the world is beginning to turn on him. The men in the town are beginning to turn on him again. Let me just kind of step back and make a really big statement out of this. and We'll go real high altitude this morning. When a nation or a person turns away from God, what was once wrong seems to become right. Let that sink in for a second. When a person turns away from God and they walk away from God, the thing that they once believed was wrong, all of a sudden it seems like it's right to them. When a nation turns away from God, what was once deemed wrong, all of a sudden it almost seems as if it has become normal. Let me give you the biblical case in point. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 5, In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord God himself told the people of Israel, if you build up an idol against God, I will strike you down. No gray area there. If you build up an idol against God, I will strike you down and I will give your country or your people over to another country. Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 5, Deuteronomy 6. In fact, some of you know it as part of the Ten Commandments, the second time that it was given to the people. Do not make a graven image before me. But in chapter 4, God says, if you do that, I will strike you down. Isn't it interesting that just a few generations after God has given that directive to the people of Israel, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6, it turns. And now the people of God... Those who have come up against Gideon say, wait a minute, you tore down our idol, you must die. God said, you build up an idol, you must die. What once seems so wrong seemingly becomes right. Let me just give you a little list of things, and this might, well, it just might. You ready? In our upside-down world, even in our own nation, there was once a day that sin made us cringe. But now... Adultery, living together before marriage, abortion, selfishness, withholding our giving from the Lord, disobedience to parents, homosexuality, lying, materialism. It just seems like the norm of the day. And this is a prophetic word for our nation. When a nation turns away from God, what once was so wrong all of a sudden almost seems right. And it's the same in our own lives as well. It's what's happening to these men around Gideon. They're now saying, wait a minute, you tore down our idol. You must now die. And look at the response in Judges chapter 6, verse 31. So Joash comes out, and he replies to the hostile crowd around him, And he says, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save Baal? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, do you see a turn here? This was the man who had built the altar to Baal. This was the man who had built the Asherah pole. This was a man who had worshipped this idol, who had held these things dearly. And all of a sudden, he began to see the heart of Joash begin to turn. If Baal really is a god, small g, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. And so that day, they changed Gideon's name to Jerub-Bael, saying, let Baal deal with Gideon. Let Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. Here's this frightful, fearful, anxiety, 
angst-ridden man in a hole in the ground. He sees Jesus. God speaks peace over him. He's still afraid. He does what God does. God, God tells him to do. He is surrounded by this opposition. And then the dad comes out. And he goes, wait a minute. Maybe Baal really isn't that strong after all. What's happening? I put this in your notes. A once fearful man now begins to impact his nation and his dad. I know the second service, especially here at Highland, trends younger than our first service. I'll just leave it at that, right? It just trends younger than our first service does. So a lot of you in this room, your dad and your mom, they're still on planet Earth. They're with you. You talk to them. You are able to text them, to communicate with them. I just want to say this because normally, as I did 10 minutes ago, I remind the dads and the moms and the parents, the influence you have over your kids. But sons and daughters, can I tell you as well this morning, you have great influence over your parents as well. And college students, if you have a dad that's not a Christian, don't give up on him. If you have a mom that's not a believer, don't stop praying for her. Because we begin to see in this story, not only is Gideon about to impact all of Israel, perhaps the very first person he impacts by full, devoted obedience to God is his dad, Joash. Sons and daughters, don't give up on your parents. Parents, don't give up on your kids. Grandparents, don't give up on your grandkids. Because this fearful man is now beginning to impact a nation and his family. Judges chapter 6, verse 33, the narrative continues. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and other eastern peoples joined forces and they crossed over the Jordan and they camped in the valley of Jezreel. You know that valley. You may not know you know that valley, but you know that valley. Jezreel in Hebrew means the God who plants. You may also know, know it as the Valley of Isdralian. If you don't know it as the Valley of Isdralian, you probably know it as the Valley of Megiddo or Har Megiddo or the Valley of Armageddon, where some of the greatest battles in all of history have taken place. And a battle is about to take place again here uh, with Gideon. I'm talking about Pharaoh. Nico has fought here before. Alexander the Great has fought here before. Uh, General Allenby fought here back in the 1940s. It is a place of great conquest, a place of great battle. And by the way, to kind of keep our hearts focused on what is to come one day, it's the place where Jesus Christ will win the final battle. There in the valley of Megiddo. So there in the valley of Jezreel, Gideon begins to, to gather the forces. And look at verse 34. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet. I'm going to put five bucks on this. Gideon had never played a trumpet before. I, I may be wrong. If I'm wrong, you can just tell me that in heaven when we see each other. Hey, aren't you the pastor that said Gideon didn't know how to play the trumpet? I, I don't think he did. I think the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he just picked up a shofar, and he blew that trumpet. He blew that shofar, summoning the Abiazrites to follow him. I'll stop right there. Here's what I want you to see. The Holy Spirit came upon him. The Spirit of the Lord covered this fearful man. And I want to bring that into our New Testament covenant age of grace that we now live in and tell you this today. The Holy Spirit empowers those who ask him to fill them. I don't know why we've made the Holy Spirit such a complicated thing and living in the Spirit such a complicated thing. And for a lot of you, if you grew up in more traditional, stoic Baptist church, as did I, the Holy Spirit was kind of this, this spooky, you know, thing out there that, you know, kind of a ghost. In fact, it freaked us out when, when the preacher said Holy Ghost instead of Holy Spirit. And so I just want you to understand that it's as simple as this. You want to live in the power of the Spirit, ask the Spirit of the Lord to fill you up. 
I'm sorry that was so complicated for all your years past. Holy Spirit, would you fill me up today? Holy Spirit, I want to keep in step with you today. Uh, Holy Spirit, I have a major decision. I have a, a, a major life uh, situation going on. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Holy Spirit, I have no life decision today. Would you fill me up? Holy Spirit, I'm overwhelmed with grief. Would you fill me up today? Holy Spirit, I'm overwhelmed with joy today. Would you fill me up? I believe it's a daily prayer. Holy Spirit, would you fill me up today? Let me show you on the screen behind me, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, when Paul admonished the church at Ephesus to do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And I know no other way to do that but to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you up to the full measure every day. The Holy Spirit also empowers those who live a life where he is not quenched. Let me just put it this way. Christian, if you're wondering where your power is, I might have to ask you, are you hanging around sin all the time? Because if you're hanging around sin all the time, that quenches the power, actually the presence of the Holy Spirit and the life of of a believer. The Holy Spirit empowers those who ask him to fill them and those who live a life where he is not quenched. Let me reference for you also on the back screen Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 and do not grieve or quench the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit falls on Gideon he picks up a trumpet. He blows that trumpet. Pick it up again, if you don't mind, please. In Judges chapter 6, verse 34, we're almost done. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet. I believe he'd never done that before, summoning the Abiezrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher and Zebulon and Naphtali, so that they, too, went up to meet them. I don't know if you caught what's happening here. I'll put this in your notes. Gideon thought what was now happening was impossible. What is now unfolding in this story, maybe just a few days, maybe a few weeks, we don't know the timeline exactly of Judges chapter 6, but it was recent history when Gideon said, no way this is going to happen. No way people will listen to me. No way I can help save, save Israel. I want you to see this. Go back maybe one more page again to Judges chapter 6. And look at verse 15 with me, because at one point, Gideon thought this is an absolute impossibility. Look at Judges chapter 6, look at verse 15. But, Lord, can I encourage you again to never say those two words to God? But, Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? Gideon is saying, this is an impossibility. Why? Because my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And a few of you have a great Hebrew word in your Bible now right beside that phrase. I'm the weak person. I'm the least person. I come from a split family. I, my, my clan is weak. I'm the weakest of the weak. There is no way this will happen. Manasseh will never listen to me. And who's the very first tribe that came when Gideon picked up that, that trumpet? Manasseh. His own people came to Gideon. And look at the abundancy of God in this. I love this. It wasn't just Manasseh. If you're back in your Bible, it's in Judges chapter 6, uh, verse 35. Manasseh came. They called them to arms. And then God, in his abundant provision, offers in some more tribes. The tribe of Asher, the tribe of Zebulun, and the tribe of Naphtali come as well. And I want us to end on this thought this morning. God loves to make the things which we think are impossible become possible. That's our God. That is our God. 
He loves to take the things that we would deem as impossible. God, you can't do that. And it's almost as if God says, wait a minute, you're saying I can't do that? I'm going to do that. You're saying that you don't see how this can happen? Then God says, then I'm going to make that happen. You think there's no way in eternity that would ever come to pass? God goes, I'm going to show you right now. So I just want to ask all of you, in fact, if you want to put your Bibles down for a second and just look up at me, I know I'm not much to look at, but just look up here for just a second. Let me just ask you these questions. What seems impossible to you? A strong, Christ-centered marriage? What seems impossible to you? Children who love the Lord with all their heart and soul and mind and strength? What seems impossible to you? A job? Forgiving somebody that has hurt you? What seems impossible to you? Peace in your heart? Freedom from addiction? What seems impossible to you? Hope for the future? College students, sleep, does that seem impossible to you? Getting past the past, a new start, giving to the Lord, does that seem impossible? Forgiving others, receiving forgiveness from others? How about this? A brand new life in Jesus Christ? Would you look at the screen behind me and hear the words of the Son of God? But Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 27, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Would you bow your head and bow your heart with me, please, as we pray? Father, thanks for the Old Testament. It is what you used to describe yourself to people in the New Testament. God, thank you for the Old Testament, for we believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Father, thank you for the story of Gideon, because it feels like all of our biographies. We're afraid, we're brave, we're afraid again. We have confidence, we fall, we have confidence again, we fall again. God, I thank you that we see ourselves in these stories, but I also thank you, God, that These conquerors were insufficient to bring full salvation to their people because you sent one conqueror to do that, and his name is Jesus Christ. Sufficient and perfect and fearless. So God, there may be some here today facing moments in life and facing chapters of life thinking, God, there's just no way. You you can't come through financially for me. You can't come through with my relationships. You can't come through with my school. God, you can't come through in the salvation of my parents or the salvation of my kids or the salvation of my friends. God, we praise you today because you're the God who loves to do what we deem impossible. Because all things are possible with our God. Including what to me is the greatest impossibility that a sinner who is under the wrath of God who is an enemy of God who has rebelled and made himself his own God can turn to Jesus Christ and find brand new life to me God that 
is almost beyond the realm of possibility, and yet you have made that possible through Jesus Christ. So God, meet us during this time. Remind us, God, where we find our confidence, not in ourselves, but in the completed work of Jesus Christ at the cross. God, may we live in that. Live in that life and live in that joy. God, we may wrestle with fear all the days of our lives, but we will not surrender to it because we're pressed into the name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us up. We ask that you give us the grace to live lives that would not grieve you and quench the presence of the Spirit. So God, now we respond in worship. We respond, Father, with our lives as your word has gone out. Through Christ we pray.